James. Back at it again, Raf. Always a pleasure. No, 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 seriously. I love coming in. Love coming into your little studio and recording a podcast. It's, it's been great. It's not that little. Uh, sorry, I apologize for that. Uh, actually, you know what? It is pretty spacious. I'll take that back. <laughs> we will get rid of the glass table soon. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like, I feel like it's been getting worse, to be honest. <laughs> We'll let you, dear listener, know when the glass table's gone. You'll know probably. You'll know because it'll become a marginally pleasant listening experience. <laughs> Less banging because whoop, that probably vibrated through both. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Uber hacked. Uber hacked. All my data gone. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I entrusted them with every bit of possible data about my movements over the past decade on the proviso that they would be careful with it. <laughs> yeah. But now look what's happened. Some 18-year-old. An 18-year-old just raided them and uh, dumped it all online, including like executive compensation. There was like a, a huge amount of like internal stuff that was unleashed onto the web. And apparently he did it via... I believe it's a he. Yep. Seems like a he, but I shouldn't assume. No. Social engineering again. Again. Convince someone, hey, give us your password. Yeah. And cracked and, and dropped a bunch of a bunch of stuff. And I actually saw it on I think it was on I saw it on Twitter this morning. The Uber has unleashed a whole bunch of junior and senior security roles. So like they're advertising yeah. a whole bunch of security jobs. Yeah. Which is one of those things where it's like, maybe you should have been on this before. Well, that's the whole thing with InfoSec, right? If you're a boffin, if you're a finance boffin and you're expanding fast and you're looking to grow revenue, what's one place where you won't grow any revenue at all? It's hiring information security personnel to basically make your systems worse, make everyone yeah. really who works there really annoyed at the extra things and they've got to go through, spend heaps of money on really expensive software Till it hits. What's the cost of not doing it, though? Totally. But and also, I would add on to that that like every cybersecurity person I've met in my life has not been, you know, a super thrilling person. Like in terms of just chat around the office, very low tier. They're bottom twenty fifth percentile. Anyway, I don't know if that figured into their hiring decisions. That's just something that I would I would raise. Thank you for raising it. <laughs> but yeah, so Uber, what a company. Let's start from not the beginning. No, let's start from the fucking beginning. Screw it. Just do it. They disrupted taxis. They did. And within business circles, the Uber of became a meme, basically. Yeah. You know, other businesses would say, we're the Uber of food delivery. We're the Uber of plumbers. Yeah. There was a real big point where kind of like all the energy in startups was trying to find, like build marketplaces, essentially. Yeah. Be, Be like, the middleman. Hey, Help like, users find yeah, plumbers. Like we can connect someone who's providing service A to user B and we can be the guy in the middle with a lovely app, beautiful app, wonderful to use, wow moments are plenty, mm. who is clipping the ticket and, and earning earning money on it. And you know what? A lot of them, a lot of the things that have been described as the Uber of X either failed or, or have changed their business model enough that they can't really be described as the Uber of X anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, Uber itself has effectively changed its business model in that the promise was always yeah, we're going to lose money, we're going to undercut taxis, but one day we'll replace our very low-paid drivers <laughs> with autonomous cars. That was always kind of like the uh, 
the city over the hill. That was always like their glorious plan. And they obviously, they owned an autonomous vehicles division. Mm. And they always had lots of like little weird things on the boiler. They have a few other projects in the background too. Like they do freight now. Obviously they have eats. They do a bunch of little things. Yeah. But they always had this weird promise where it was like, okay, yeah, our relationship with our drivers is our biggest PR liability one because they don't get paid very well. They don't get treated very well. Mm. You know, they're really at the lowest rungs of like the modern economy. Yeah. I've said it before on other podcasts. It's literally like the invisible class of people now that we have delivering our food, driving us place to place, kind of a class of people who we just kind of ignore the fact that for the most part, they're probably on some kind of working visa from another country. Yeah, yeah. Like they're sending a lot of money home. We don't know what their living conditions are. We have no idea what they're paid. We know it's not much. It's yeah. rarely white people, basically. Yeah. On that point, one of the most interesting things that I've observed recently is when all the instant grocery businesses came to Australia. Yeah. Milk Run, Volley, Send. I can't remember which ones are gone now. Send, I think, is on the way out. I think, no, Send is gone. Vault is potentially on the way out. Yeah, Volley is- Volley, is Volley. Becoming much smaller, if not yeah. leaving. Um, Milk Run is going hard, but they've changed their delivery times from 10 minutes to 15 minutes yeah. to in, like, quick. They dynamically change how long it's going to take. Sometimes it's like over half an hour or- But there's no promises anymore. No, 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 totally. But to your point, one of the really interesting things is because obviously one of the big pitches there was- uh, and they put it in all their marketing. It's like all of them did. It's like, oh, we pay our mm. writers properly. They're fully employed, whatever. And as a result, like the demographic of writers is radically different. Like yeah. the Uber drivers and Uber Eats drivers are, as you say, most likely international students here on working visas. The Milk Run writers are just a completely different demographic of people. They're like local students, basically. Yeah. So you can really see like the delineation of the different kind of like classes of people that like actually populate these services yeah. and help you get from point A to point B and get your goods from point A to point B. It's really stark. Yeah. But so that was the Uber model. And as you say, those pesky low paid drivers who we didn't want to classify as workers, we'll get rid of them. Autonomous cars. Well, that's not happening. There was obviously intervening the Travis Kalanick situation. Situation. Yeah. Former CEO, disgraced CEO due to company culture, et cetera, et cetera. He left. He's doing his own thing. Cloud Kitchens is his big thing. Yeah, he's doing like the ghost kitchens. Which is kind of interesting in that it's his big bet at the moment, quietly, Travis Kalanick, who, you know, he was disgraced, to be fair. He went out poorly from Uber, was kind of forced out by the board. Yep. His big bet is that, and this kind of makes sense, right, that, okay, we don't know who we're buying from when we order off Menulog or Uber Eats we're just getting it from somewhere that's got the best graphic design. So he's buying up spaces, renting it out to, I guess, wannabe restaurateurs to purely serve the demand of these delivery food apps. And these little ghost kitchens or whatever can make Italian, Mexican, whatever kind of food you want. Um, That's his new thing. But that's neither here nor there. Post-Travis, Dara Khosrowshahi, he was brought in, who's a bit more of a straight CEO. Yeah, to he's, kind of- he's from, was the boss of Expedia. It's like that travel booking company. Yeah, so he's been brought in to kind of right the ship. He's a right, he was like a much more sensible and nice person. I think like quite literally one of their metrics for like hiring someone was like, this guy has got to, got to be pleasant and not so much of like a insane like frat boy asshole. He's just got to be like, and be much a much nicer face for the company. And as well of- as attempt to make them remotely profitable because that was one of the whole things. They were losing a lot, a lot of money. Exactly, yeah. So as a result, what does Uber look like now? 
So they reported their first quote unquote cash positive quarter. Yeah. Um, adjusted EBITDA, all that. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to get into like the dark magic of corporate accounting. There are lots of big question marks hanging over that. But, you know, they had the world's top minds do like a Manhattan Project level of science on their, their balance sheet and come out and say they had a profitable quarter. Yeah. Because, you know, Uber is the poster child, uh, as I think we've mentioned a few times in this podcast, for companies that prioritize growth at all costs for much of its existence. You know, what's Uber's been around for over 10 years at this point. Burning investor money, burning venture capital on the proviso that one day, they could do the Amazon trick and click their fingers and flick it over and make it work. Yeah. And they say they've done that now. And yeah. wh- what's the payoff for that? As anyone would know, we are not in the glory days of Uber these days. No, no $12 rides. No $12 rides. They're pretty pricey. Remember the days where you would get like surge pricing mm. and it would tell you like a ride costs 3.5X now. Yeah. Not anymore. They just charge you an insane amount and you just cop it, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. If you hate that amount, you just close the app and then open it two minutes later and hope that it's lower, but often it's more. Yeah, that was always a criticism. It's like, okay, so when are you going to be profitable? You now are a legitimately massive company. You're in so many countries around the world. How big do you have to get until you have to be profitable? And so, yeah, they're claiming profitability. As you say, what they effectively are now is often more expensive than a taxi. Because the whole Uber problem was I get this convenience in my pocket. I get to open up an app and order an app rather than wait around and flag it down a, a taxi. Sure, that is convenient. That's definitely a win for the customer. And it's cheaper. But it turns out when you have like this uh, fantastic user experience and all it has to do is connect drivers with users in a delightful way, it requires 29,000 employees who aren't drivers to run that beautiful app around the world. And so therefore, of course, somehow those people have to get paid if you're trying to make a profit. And so it's going to cost more as a user. So that's where we've ended up. We've kind of destroyed a lot of the taxi industry who now have their own apps where you can order a taxi via an app. Sure. Like it's not that hard to do that part of it. Yeah. And instead we have Uber, which is now more expensive because they have to pay this absurd workforce of people. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to like evaluate where we are now because like, you know, I think no one would deny the fact that Uber is like the currency driver Uber is way more convenient than what we used to have with, yeah. with cabs. And like on a consumer level, it's still a lot better. That was uh, 10 years ago though, to be fair. Yeah, no, totally. But like, you know, a lot of the great promises of what it would do for like our urban life or whatever, oh, this is going to take, take all these extra cars off the road. Mm. This is going to be the future of how our cities move. And it's like, well, you know, it's better in, a, in some respects. But is it that much better? Yeah, <laughs> is it yeah. Like, is it really like, apart from the, the convenience of having to get, getting a car whenever, which I'm not downplaying, pretty great. It's a good innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Has it really shifted anything? Which kind of brings it back to, I know this is one of your hypotheses or suggestions or I guess comments, quips, yep. that I think is very insightful, that a lot of these apps at the end of the day, the audience can only really be wealthy people. Because at the end of the day, you pay for that extra convenience. You know, we had this lovely period, this kind of 10-year period where all of our Ubers and uh, our Uber Eats and those kind of things were subsidized by venture capitalists. But now when the rooster comes home to roost... As the rooster is wont to do. (laughs) We have a luxury good. Yeah, we've got a good that's like fundamentally an expensive good that costs what it costs to produce. And Uh. so we have an expensive good... Uber's making the tiniest bit of money, but not really that much money. Shareholders, well, at the moment, they're actually losing money and drivers certainly aren't getting paid. So 
Yeah. Where are we at? <laughs> totally. It's, it's, it's really interesting. When I was back at Business Insider, I joined like the Australian Uber, the Australian Uber Facebook group. It's like where all these Uber riders congregate and basically talk about work, essentially. And it was like well, it's definitely the best Facebook group I'm in. A, because a lot of them are quite funny. Mm. <laughs> and like they're very realistic about <laughs> the kind of position they're in. But it's so interesting to watch all the new things that Uber introduces to kind of like incentivize them to work harder mm. and do more. And because, you know, one of the great promises of Uber for the riders, for the drivers and the riders that sort of power it is like the gig economy promise, which you don't hear about that much anymore, no. which is like pick your own hours, drive as much as you want. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, a lot of these companies, whether it's Uber or someone else, to actually like have flexibility, you need to just basically work at full-time hours. Mm. There are dev- I'm sure there are people who are out and about driving Uber of an evening. You know, you know, every now and again you get an Uber driver who's always like, I hate my wife and I just want to <laughs> yeah. I just want to be out on the road and doing something. Yeah. You know, or I'm retired and I just want something I, to do. But I need it something. Is rare. It's, it's rare. rare. It, it's so rare to find that. It's it's literally mostly just like Bangladeshi exchange students mm. who have a leased car that they're driving around. But it's so interesting to watch the evolution from, oh, you know, you can drive whenever you want. If you're finished with your shift, go home, play Xbox, love it, to actually you kind of got to work full-time hours to now like the app does all these like insane incentive structures to try to get you to do more. The big one is like quests. I don't know if you've seen this. I have not been on a quest. No. So the, the app basically incentivizes these drivers to kind of like go a little bit further by gamifying it, turning it into like if you do X amount in these like time periods or like if you hit this number for this period of time or this like week or whatever, you'll get like a bonus. Mm. You're like Frodo on the quest to destroy the one ring or whatever. That's the first quest I can think of. (laughs) That's a comparison. (laughs) It's Um, a big quest. Yeah, but it's just so it's so funny to to watch this kind of like utopian promise. Oh, we're connecting service provider A with user B. It's just this beautiful marketplace. Yeah. We're, at, we're completely hands off. We're yeah. just facilitating it to like what Uber is now, which is like exchange students being compelled to go harder by like all these gamified metrics, not being paid super well, prices being cranked up for consumers. It's like, well, what have we learned? I don't know. But <laughs> this, is just, this is just how the world works now. And in general... It is a time of reckoning for a lot of these mobility startups. I'm sure if you're in Sydney in particular, but probably most cities in the world. Several years ago, uh, we had the e-bike phenomenon. Yes. Panic. E-bike panic. I'm always really interested. One of the things I'm personally interested in is like how these software systems kind of like impose themselves on like the physical world. Mm. Our cities now move differently because of Uber. But the big one was, yeah, when all these mobility startups moved into cities around Australia, then all of a sudden you had like swarming piles of like dispensed bikes and they were like pulling them out of the Yarra yeah. in Melbourne. And just and they were literally everywhere. Like it was yeah. actually inconvenient to walk around in a Sydney. There'd be literal piles of mangled bikes. Yeah, there were like five startups at once seemed to launch within about a two-month period. I actually was always on the pro side. You like those. I, I still use them. I still I use, use Lime, yeah, yeah, now yeah. owned by Uber. I tried for the first time the purple ones. There's one competitor now to Lime e-bikes. I mean, I say that there probably are multiple, yeah, yeah. but obviously most of them died out. It's really expensive. Again, right now it's, yeah. it's in order to grab a Lime e-bike from Alexandria to Lewisham, for example, at one a.m. Okay. Like you're still looking at fourteen to sixteen bucks. Yeah. 
A lot more expensive than public transport. Yeah. Realistically, you should just get the train. But for the price of what Ubers were in 2009. Yeah, you can can ride yourself there, you dickhead. (laughs) Right? But they're obviously all going under as well because it turns out that's expensive as well. If you're a business and you're providing a shitload of e-bikes, that's massive capital expenditure, you still have to maintain them. They're getting broken all the time. You know, again, you can see the promise. Oh, yeah, we just put this fleet of bikes out there. There's no further cost to us because the users just move them around and other users are constantly rotating them, them yeah. et cetera. It like, sounds like a beautiful model. But- and they also pay people to charge them in their garages. You can be like an independent contractor who charges them yourself. Again, sounds like a beautiful model, yeah. except that they're constantly broken. They're yeah. constantly in the wrong place. They're constantly falling over. Yeah. They're constantly councils are complaining about yeah. them. And so these places are all disappearing. My favorite example being... Bolt, named after one of the co-founders. Mr. Usain Bolt. That's right. Fastest man on earth. I mean, who wouldn't want to ride one of his bikes? So they have uh, obviously not been doing particularly well in recent times, funding down across the board. Apparently in multiple US cities, including Portland, all of these e-bikes and e-scooters, these Bolt e-scooters, have just been bricked on the side of the road and the company itself is uncontactable. PI agency that used to represent them was like, we haven't spoken to them in a month. They've just disappeared and just left behind them. The detritus of their existence. <laughs> These like locked e-bikes just littering the place. What do you do with them? I'm feeling sure that something similar happened with at least one of the providers in Australia when they just like fucked off out of the market. Is <laughs> like all these things were left, obviously like thrown into the Yarra or whatever. There's this like particular fixation in... It kind of reminded me when you were just talking about, you know, they had all these cool ideas about, oh, you know, we're going to track all the bikes up. We, we have no overhead. We just leave them there. People will charge them for us. There's like this, this is a Silicon Valley mindset where it's like, if we just like align the incentives just right mm. and we like tweak a system to kind of like be self-perpetuating and- The flywheel. Yeah, exactly. We can step back and baby, like we're just going to make money hand over Free fist. money. Because like society's <laughs> going to do it. But then it turns out- in almost 100% of cases, people are cunts. Like, <laughs> this is the one thing that Silicon Valley, like they, we were talking about it with Amazon and whatever a few episodes ago, where it's just like they have no capacity for understanding just how depraved human society can be. Oh, 100%. Like have people at all of the autonomous car startups considered when your autonomous car enters a roundabout, someone just puts a cone on every exit path. And just goes around. What's your car going to do? If there's a cone in the middle of the road at every exit path of the roundabout, is it going to go round and round in circles? Because if it is, every roundabout is going to be clogged up with an autonomous car going round and round in circles. Because I'll tell you right now, there's like a kid who's just come out of like year 10 formal, absolutely blotto, <laughs> destroyed. It's a Thursday night because they've had it on a Thursday night so the kids don't go too wild. <laughs> And he's going to do that with codes that he finds out on the street. Yeah, and then if you're in that autonomous car, what are you going to do? Tell the car, stop, and then you're going to get out of the autonomous car and you're going to have to pick up another cone. Well, look, it's lucky this is never going to happen. (laughs) 